Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Transforming 45. This week, I am thrilled to have a live human in the studio with me. <laughs> it's always my favorite way to record. And we have Sarah Lajeunesse, who is a social media content creator, mom of three. Anything else that I missed? Social media manager. Social media manager. And is this kind of life on Instagram. And I have been watching you for, it sounds weird. <laughs> I've been watching you for years, <laughs> but it's in true. Non in the non-creepy way. I've been watching your account grow and evolve over the last few years. And so I just reached out to say, hey, would you like to share your story? And you graciously said yes. So I'm so glad that you are here today. Well, thank you for having me. I mean, this, I did a story before I came in that this is my first time doing a podcast in person. So I'm really excited. And we, you know, had a brief chat beforehand and I always vibe really well with people in person. And so I'm excited to talk today. Um, a little bit about me, mom of three, social media content creator. And I really fell into it. Um, you know, really, I see my background really worked out well, made the transition really easy into social media. Um, I have a background in media, so I've worked as a reporter, I've done videography, mm -hmm. photography, so all those skills really lend to social media pretty easily. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I came into the content creation influencer world really naively. I had no idea. I never, I'd never seen an influencer. I didn't, I, I knew about it. But more in the context of like bloggers. Um, but, you know, I was working in a production agency. I had two young kids and it just, it wasn't working. And, you know, my husband and I decided we needed a change. And so we decided to sell our house in the GTA and mm -hmm. move to Barrie. And we wanted to, um, you know, I was going to stay home for a couple of years and focus on the kids and sort of get settled. And at that time, uh, my best friend and uh, co-founder of This Kind of Life had, you know, also worked in media in a similar background and ended up um, being laid off and said, hey, listen, let's start something ourselves. We both worked in news. There's not a lot of local news happening. Let's do it. So that's sort of where we started. And it, of course, evolved into more of a content creator um, page that we did together. And then she recently moved. So now I'm taking the reins, but, um, it's been a, like a really seamless transition. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's been fun. It's been challenging and I've certainly learned and grown, you know, with, with the social media platforms as they've evolved over the last seven years. Wow. Been doing it. Yeah. It's seven years at this point feels like another lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> It, I mean, I get the flashbacks of like when we first started this kind of life and it was really Facebook focused. It was going to be more like a talk show almost. And, you know, just seeing how that quickly evolved into what we do now. And it's mm -hmm. so, you know, it's it feels like a totally different lifetime to yeah. think about what we used to do. And it really is. I mean, between this rapid speed of technology and how we use it and how it has infiltrated our everyday lives. And then the COVID time warp that happened seven years is almost a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in social media, I mean, especially for content creators, they do say that content creators tend to burn out uh, right. in that. And I think the average lifespan of a creator is like seven years because mm -hmm you are always on and you're sharing your life generally. And, um, you know, you're open to a lot of criticism and feedback. And mm -hmm. so as 
I've gotten older, you know, yeah. um, you know, there are, there are certainly more boundaries of, you know, what I will and will not share, what I won't tolerate, those mm-hmm. kind of things. Yeah. And that's really important to have those boundaries. What was your first post that went viral or started bringing attention your way? <laughs> I mean, not our first post that like got attention, but definitely the first viral post was in, you know, TikTok's early days. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a mattress unboxing and it was just my husband and I and, and April yeah. shot it. And it was my son running around. It was a partnership with a very popular mattress brand. And it was literally just a sped up video of us opening this mattress and it got like three and a half million views. And like, you know, in the world of social media, they say, you know, when you get something that hits, like recreate it. But unfortunately, like I, what was I going to keep doing <laughs> mattress unboxings? And it interestingly went viral in like the Middle East. So oh. it drew, a, we, we gained a large audience, you know, not large, but a, a mm-hmm. decent audience, but it was not the audience we were after. Right. So that was interesting. That is interesting. I, what do you think it was about that post that gained people's attention? Um, I actually connected with another creator, a really successful, really successful, uh, content creator who's here in Barrie. And she said, you know, I think it's because people wanted to see the end result. There was anticipation and lead up. So she's like, you know, to create that. Now I never really did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but you know, I understood what she was getting at in terms of, you know, it's that people were waiting for that result. Right. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it is, it's almost a parallel or a parable about social media, right? Mm -hmm. Is building that and then having that endorphin release when we see something. Yes. Yeah. Which is interesting, right? Because it is both the power and the terrifying Mm -hmm. element of social media and what it has done to our brains. Oh, absolutely. Like even my four-year-old is now every night, can we watch cake videos? I'm like, I'm probably not helping your attention span with these like 15 second videos, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that has also definitely changed. Like when think about back to when we were kids and watched cartoons, like it was a full half an hour Mm -hmm. where you would sit and just be engaged with this one story that Mm -hmm. unfolded over that half an hour. And now it's such a quick turnover and it has really changed the wiring of all of our brains. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I worked in news media, we would package stories and I I think they still stick to these timeframes, but it was about a minute and a half was sort of the Mm -hmm. time that somebody would sit and watch. And, you know, now looking at social media metrics, I can tell you like the average watch time for my clients or for myself, it's like six seconds. Yeah. Right. So... I'm glad to hear you say that because when I look at my metrics and I see that, I'm like, oh, no, that's sad. It's, you know, I mean, I think obviously there are creators and people that have managed to tap into an audience and provide value in a way that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, people are sticking around. But generally speaking, people are looking for short content. Yeah. Yeah, because that is how we consume. Unless it's a podcast and then YouTube. I mean, there's different platforms uh people are looking for different things we've turned this into a social media company (laughs) i know well it is it is the thing that i love about podcasting is being able to have longer form conversations with people that you can't have that when you're just putting it out into the social media world 
Absolutely. No, yeah. I think, you know, I put on podcasts, I'm in the car, I'm going to walk. Um, it's with the intention to sit down and listen. Yeah. And spend some time. So at seven years ago, your family also would have been in a very different mm -hmm. place. So what was that like at that point? And how has that evolved both within your family and the way that you show up to the work? So seven years ago, I was like mid thirties, two little girls. Um, and, you know, and I took time off work and I was home and doing all the things. And then, you know, with TKL, that started getting busier. So then I was sort of slowly working more and more. And then we had another baby. Um, so I had my, my son, my third child, and I was 37 when I had him. Yes, I have to think about that. Yeah. 37 when I had him. It's brave. Uh, he was born September 2019, so six months before the pandemic hit. Yeah. Um, and so even, you know, even though I was a seasoned mom, navigating that um, without community, you know, because mm -hmm. I didn't have the community of, you know, moms with babies because my daughters at that point were older. Mm -hmm. um, so navigating that and then also being self-employed. So that was really tough. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm still getting, getting through that and building that community mm -hmm. because for two years, you know, I was, uh, with him during the day and then working at night and then obviously more isolated with the pandemic. But I think even without the pandemic, I would have still been isolated because mm -hmm. I still would have been working at night. Mm -hmm. And that's just entrepreneurship, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. It's a very different, it's a very different rhythm to life mm -hmm. when you are making time for the things that you need to make time for. Yeah, it was, you know, it was survival mode and I got through it and, um, it was hard, but I was really passionate about what I was doing. And so, you know, there, there was a give and a take to it all, but you mm -hmm. know, in the end, here we are. It's yeah. Yeah. And so the power of community is so important and I want to make sure that we come back to that, but I also am curious around, so you, oh, you have teenage daughters. One is not actually a teenager, but she's 12 going on like 20. So right. I call her a teenager because we are there. Yes. Emotionally, mentally, we are there. Yeah. All the things. How do you think about the way that you show up to social media? in a way that is real and authentic and shows, but also shows leadership for your girls. I will say that, um, you know, my oldest is 15 and then the middle is 12. And I am more aware of how I show up as they are now mm -hmm. also seeing some of these posts. Um, I still share very vulnerable pieces of content, but I'm aware that them like their eyes will be on this mm -hmm. and their friends. So where before it was really just whether or not I felt comfortable with something. Now it's about making sure it's content that won't upset them, offend them, mm -hmm. um, cause them embarrassment. Oh, I'm sure I do, but you know, mm -hmm. unjustly so. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, I think that's, I think that's natural to be a little bit more aware. Um, in terms of showing up authentically, I think um, I'm a pretty like open book person, mm -hmm. probably to a, to a flaw. Like it's probably not a great thing sometimes, but I'm, I, it never occurred to me show, to show up a different mm -hmm. way. So yeah. um, one thing that I've always heard throughout 
my journey as a creator is that, wow, you're so real. And certainly there are times. I'm not going to sit here and say I've never, like, cleaned up my kitchen when I'm taking a photo. Like, yeah. of course I do that. Because yeah. I don't need to show you all the dishes. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I also will show up one day with no makeup and one day with lots of makeup. And, um, you know, I've, and, and that's important for me. But also as a mother, that's really important for me because I want to show my girls that it's not about, you know, being fake and using tons of filters yes. and altering the way I look. Um, so, you know, to, to show people a certain side of me, Mm -hmm. it's it's about making genuine connection and sort of highlighting the positives of social media. Yeah. Which I think is really important because, and that's sort of what I was thinking about with this question is for your daughters. So for two things, one, for them to see how it can be used as a really positive tool, how to manage the things when it's hard, but also they get to see you as a human being. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Some of the conversation I have with women who are my clients is around like they I don't know how to talk to my adult children because I've only ever been their mom and they've never seen me as a human being. And so now I don't know how to interact and I don't know how to have an adult conversation. But when you are letting your all of your kids see you as a human being. I think it's a really beautiful way of showing them that they can always show up and be themselves, too. Yeah. And I'd say, so through social media, I mean, it started, um, as a hobby, I guess we, you know, we weren't profiting off of it and then it became a business and we work with brands and it's monetized. I do have a day job as well. Um, so, you know, they are seeing me do it from profit, but also for fun and as a creative outlet, um, you know, through that I've expanded and I've been taking photography courses. So I think it's also let them see that I'm growing and changing and doing things that I want to do and I'm passionate about, Mm -hmm. um, not just for a dollar, but because I like doing it and, you know, it, it serves me and it's not just about, um, you know, like it's not just about showing up because I have to, it's, it's for a Mm -hmm. purpose. Yeah, which is really beautiful. And I think it's also really great to show them this can be a business, mm-hmm. right? As women, we're taught so much that you should never do anything for the money, mm-hmm. right? Like as an educator for years, it was like, well, you're just there for the children. Like anytime we would be in contract negotiations or strike positions, which happened a lot, and the issues were vast. Like it was never, it was never just about salary, but there was that component of it. But we got guilted all the time right. that you should just be coming here for the children. Like essentially, it's like you should do it for free. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, listen, I still get those emails and, you know, uh, brands often reach out to creators and I'm not the largest creator, but I'm sure, you know, people with really large, um, followings still get, you know, reach outs. Can you just give me a shout out? Can you just do this? Can you just do this? And, you know, it comes to a point where you have to say like, I, I can't mm-hmm. because I, then I can't do what I, the fun stuff that I also want to do. Yeah. So, you know, there is a component to negotiating that and, and setting those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because we can't all show up all the time for free. No, because you come to it with skill. Mm-hmm. And that is the, when someone is asking you to do something for free or giving you guilt or shame around creating a business mm-hmm. out of your life, mm-hmm. essentially, that it's denying the skills mm-hmm. that you have, right? The time that you have invested, oh, yeah. 
the money that you invested in education, the time that you spent to build all of the resources and skills that you have, it's a, it's an important skill. Well, and I think, so I, I would say we struggled with finding our value and, and figuring out how to value our content and our time. But we, we, at the same time, we knew there was significant value in what we brought to the table and it wasn't necessarily based on followers or whatnot. And I think that's because both of myself and my uh, best friend who I founded this with initially, we both came with a media background. So mm -hmm. we could easily say, you know, we are trained professionals in photography, videography, and all these things that maybe some people would struggle with. So, you know, that was really important from the get-go to identify ourselves as professionals in this mm -hmm. space. Um, just because we did bring 20 years of experience yes. and I am too old to show up for free. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and that is something I think that, you know, it's part of the work, I think, of women of our generation. Because when, you know, when I was younger and deciding what I wanted to be when I grew up, there was a fraction of the options yeah. that exist now. And there is this world where we're getting to create our reality and we're getting to create how we want to work instead of fitting ourselves into a really patriarchal model that has never worked well. It's so funny you say that because I remember years ago, my mom always saying, just think outside the box. And I was like, what do you even what mean by that? Mean? Like, yeah. just create something. And, you know, I have always been somebody who sort of marched to the beat of my own drum. I never did things that everyone else was doing or, or in the way or timeline that people were doing them. Um, but eventually, you know, I've found my way mm -hmm. to a career, not just with the content creation, but with social media management, which are skills that I, you know, learned along the way and essentially self-taught. Mm -hmm. Well, because it didn't exist. Right. Right. <laughs> it, wasn't a thing. it was not a thing. So you were able to see that and see its potential yeah. and learn along with it as it was growing and developing as well, which is the other phenomenal and really interesting thing for this time that we're living in is that it is a constant evolution as the mediums and the platforms change as well. And I think what's interesting um, in my family dynamic is that, you know, when I decided to take a step back from my role, um, my income, I think at that point was less than my husband's um, because I had been on some mat leaves mm -hmm. and I had taken a step back and, you know, that was fine. But then, you know, the dynamic shifted so that he was the only income earner mm -hmm. and that changed things. And then I was still earning, but not near a full-time income level mm -hmm. for many years. And then sort of now I'm at a place where I am outpacing his earnings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's shifted, not our dynamic, but I do mention that to my daughters. Like, you know, now I am the primary income earner. Mm -hmm. Um, not, you know, not by a lot, but I am, I, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, just so that they can see that, you know, Hey, mom did all this work yes. and has now come out really far ahead. Um, and so that, you know, they know that that dynamic can also exist mm -hmm. in a happy household. Yeah. And I think that that's such an, uh, an important point to make as well, that it doesn't have to be uh, a source of tension, mm -hmm. right? If you're working with your partner oh, around, yeah. you know, like, what does this mean for us? But showing, yeah, is showing your daughters that 
you get to be everything that you want to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. I feel like there is an exciting shift that's happening yeah. in the world. I mean, there's also lots of pushback and lots of hard. Yeah. Yes. Right. Like women's rights have not been attacked in this way in yeah. since in my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And so that the push and pull of that mm -hmm. is a really difficult space mm -hmm. sometimes, but I do feel like there is this groundswell of women who are coming into their own mm -hmm. and showing that there is an entirely different way of working mm -hmm. that is fulfilling, but also doesn't require you to abandon yourself mm -hmm. and self-sacrifice over and over again. Absolutely. And I do, I am part of a newer team and I do work with some younger women and I would say they do have a different perspective. They have, mm -hmm. they're better with boundaries. Um, you know, and they, they're very clear on like, this is my role and I'm not doing extra just because you say it's good. You know, like mm -hmm. what sort of, at, you know, not in a negative way, but like, yeah, yeah. what is in it for me? Yes. Um, and you know, why should I be doing above and beyond when that's not my role? And mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they're just asking the questions that I think I, or at least I know I wouldn't have asked. No. Because I was just thankful, like, oh, thankful to be here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was thinking that even um, when we took our oldest on university tours last year, mm -hmm. even that has really shifted where when I went to school, it was like, you're lucky to be here yeah. and you need to get your shit together and like make it happen because nobody's here to help you. And the ethos is so different now when you walk onto a campus, it was so welcoming and there are so many support services in wow. place now. And it was very much a, we want you to be here. How can we help you to be successful? Wow. Like, Whoa. I mean, I'm not there yet. I have a, my, my oldest is in grade 10, so we will soon be mm -hmm. looking into universities, which is shocking. <laughs> it is it is shocking and it's really hard i bet she's been talking about university for a long time mm -hmm. she's pretty academically minded and and focused on studies so we've been talking a lot for years mm -hmm. i think i can i think i've told her like maybe not ubc yeah no i know we tried to keep them in the province as well don't go that far um yeah and no, i know it is it is both a beautiful thing to watch them become who they were always meant to be but it's one of the things i say a lot is there's an equal and opposite reaction mm -hmm. for us as oh yeah parents when we watch them fly like in september i had these moments where i was super um resentful of all the people who were like oh this is such an exciting time for you and i was like no, it's an exciting time for Will, yeah. and it's a painful time yes. for me. I mean, I had a similar reaction to my four-year-old, or he just turned four, yeah. um, starting school. I was far more emotional than I thought. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's my third child, so you'd think, like, you've been down this road. You know what to expect. And I was a mess. Yeah. Because it, it was the thought that this is my last baby, and we're sort of out of those little kid years. Mm -hmm. And for me... Um, I love those little kids. I mean, they are very hard, <laughs> but I really like those little kid years. Mm -hmm. As they get older, they get mouthier. <laughs> it, it becomes a lot more challenging in a lot of ways, right? As yeah. they get older. And, um, so it was just, you know, allowing myself to feel the feels that this mm -hmm. is a big, a significant shift in where we are at in our lives. Yeah, it is a huge shift. And I think 
do you think part of also, so yes, it was your last baby, but also knowing, knowing how quickly it goes, like you put them in kindergarten and you blink and they are graduating from high school. Yeah. I mean, I would say so because there is a large age gap Mm -hmm. with my kids, I think I am, I'm really aware of the, of trying to absorb the moments with my son. So just recording those little voices, you know, Mm -hmm. the squeaky voice and Mm -hmm. the little things that they do and just trying to appreciate all of those. Um, because I know, you know, with, when I had my two girls that were little, it was like, I couldn't take it in. I couldn't. Yeah. There's significant moments. I don't remember (laughs) because, you know, they went, they were, days were so busy. But it's just trying to find those moments to like stop and acknowledge and appreciate mm-hmm. even the hardest days with him because I know. Yeah. It'll be, that's it. He'll be 20 in no time. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And I do, I like, I love the humans that my moving toward adult children are and I really like spending time with them but there are so I'm gonna get emotional just thinking about it there are times when I just miss their little squishy faces and I just miss their little like their little pudgy hands and the way they used to run and snuggle you the moment you came through the door like those yeah and like please don't stop (laughs) I mean I know you will yeah Um, but the time comes where yeah like my oldest came home from work today and I didn't even know. Yeah. Oh, well, I get that too. Um, but it's interesting because I've been able to talk to my older ones about it. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll sort of jokingly make fun of me for being so upset that my little guy started school and they'll say, you know, why, why are you like this? Mm-hmm. And then it's sort of having those conversations with them and bringing into, bringing them into my emotional emotions about, you know, well, it's just like every day you guys need me a little bit less. And yeah. You know, when you're born, you need me completely. And, and you know, mm-hmm. letting go of your kids is like, the, I think, the hardest thing to do with parents, right? It's really hard. And I had this conversation with Will in the in January where things were really unfolding for him for school. And I remembered what that was like. I remembered being in that space of all the pressure that you have around marks and trying to accomplish your goals and also the grief that exists, but you don't have words for it mm-hmm. around knowing that you're leaving this safe place that has always been. So I remember what that space felt like, and I could see it all over him. And it was coming out in ways that were hurtful for me. And so we had that conversation where I said, look, everything that you're experiencing is completely developmentally normal. And it also happens to intersect with all of my freshest pain points. Mm-hmm. And we were able to have that conversation. And I think that's so important and something that perhaps we're doing differently as parents, like listening to you talk about the way you're bringing your girls into that as well, which is important for them to take into if they ever decide that they want to engage in this parenting journey, that you've opened the curtain for them a little bit more and that you can, that they can still be real. They can still be themselves because you're seeing, they're seeing you do that too. Yeah, I would say there's a big difference. I think those, you know, we're in our 40s and those of us who grew up in like the 80s, mm-hmm. uh, it was, you know, there's a lot of funny memes oh, yeah. and posts about it. But I think the style of parenting was very different then. And, you know, now I recognize that a lot of us are asking, like, how could I do that better? You mm-hmm. know, what's a different way to relate to my child versus just like that parent-child separation that I think existed when we were growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to say parents were distant, just meaning like 
you know, it was like, just don't question me and I don't need yes. to explain myself. And now it's a lot more of let's talk this through. And I think a lot of parents look to find better ways, you know, not to say we're mm-hmm. perfect, but there's always a way we can do something a little bit differently or better or improve. Yeah. And then we're giving them the skills for how to manage their emotions, for how to engage in relationships, for how to do all of those things that we have to learn in, in very different ways. Well, let's hope we are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hope. <laughs> we are mothers of the year in case anybody was wondering if you need to know anything, we'll tell you because we're experts. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> It's, um, it is such, it is the most humbling thing I've ever done Mm -hmm. by far. Uh, but I think being open to hearing that you're not perfect. Well, not that I came into this thinking it was perfect. (laughs) That was never the case. Um, but another one of my guests, her name is Daniela. She talked about this beautiful gift that she gave to her children and she said to them when they were in their sort of mid to later teens she said look a time is going to come where you are going to be angry with me for something that I did as your parent and she said their response was like no no mom like you're the best we're never going to feel that way she's like no you will (laughs) the time is going to come and I want you to know when that time comes that you can come to me and you can hold me accountable for it mm. and that we will heal it and move forward together. Mm, I like that. I thought, yeah, I was like, that is one of the most beautifully brilliant things I've ever heard because it opens up that space mm-hmm. for kids to know that they can come back in a way that is safe. Like it's not in a way that is, you were the worst parent ever and you right. destroyed me, but it's, we all do. We all have those moments. Of course, yeah. Right. Where like, I, one of mine is, and it sounds sort of fluffy on the surface, but I'd gotten hundred percent on my OAC law exam. Wow. And I came home and the teacher was like 70. <laughs> my teacher was like, you're the only person I have ever seen get hundred percent on this exam. And I came home and I told my mom and she was like, well, how come you didn't get 110? And she was joking, oh. but because that was her first response and She was a powerhouse in so many ways, but she expected a lot. Mm -hmm. And I was an only child. Mm -hmm. And so that became the running thought in my mind is enough is never enough. Right. It always has to be better. Yeah. That's what I mean. I'm big on validating. Um, That's something that was a struggle in my childhood with uh, my sister too, myself and my sister, and just making sure my kids feel validated in their feelings. So, and you know, my instinct often is to be like, oh, you're wrong, or I didn't do that, you know, mm-hmm. that's, but I'm try. I work really hard to try and say, listen, I appreciate how you're feeling. I don't know if I see it that way, you know, trying mm-hmm. to have that conversation. Um, and, but making sure that they feel validated in where they are and in expressing themselves. Yeah. Because that also, it sets you free as well when you don't feel like you have to be perfect, mm-hmm. when you feel like you can make mistakes and you, you can have them come to you and talk to you about it. It sets everybody in that situation free because now we can just talk about it and move through it instead of holding all of that toxicity in our body. Yes. I won't say it's perfect. No. <laughs> I mean, we, I'm not going to claim that I have a perfect family, but no. that's just sort of my one thing that I really hope impresses upon them or that I impress Mm -hmm. upon them. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that is important. And I wanted to circle back to what we were talking about earlier about community. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about your little one, I, um, last Thursday, I had to pick up my cousin's child's from kindergarten. So it was the same school where my kids went to kindergarten. And so I walked onto the yard and I had such an emotional Mm -hmm. response to it, to being back in this place where they were once little. And then I took him to the park to wait to meet uh, my cousin. And I was looking around at the park at the community that was happening there around small humans. And I just thought, my life is so different now. Mm. I remember being a part of that community and those communities that sort of organically exist when you have young humans, because you're doing that, you're going to the park, you're going to other places where there are small humans. And that element, it was, it it was grief. There was some Mm. grief in that and watching that happen. And I'm, yeah, so I guess what I'm wondering about is how do we continue? So you're looking for, how do we find that community again? Well, I mean, I'd say I'm struggling, like I'm still not struggling on the path to finding that mm-hmm. community. Of course, I have a lot of community online yeah. and um, that's amazing. But I would also say, I think I have replaced an in-person community to a degree with an online Interesting. community. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a perception that I was um, always busy or with my best friend, which through COVID and then me having three kids and she had one child who's a teenager, mm-hmm. um, that wasn't the case at all. Um, so I think, you know, and my expectation when I had my third son pre-pandemic, I thought, oh, I can join mom classes. I'll build up that sense of, you know, that community. Right. I've done it before. And then, of course, that didn't happen. Uh-huh. And so now um, I'm in a work situation where I'm not at the parks. I'm not, you know, yeah. so building that community hasn't happened in the same way. But, you know, recently I've come to the realization that, like, maybe you can't necessarily go back. Like, I was uh-huh. thinking I could restart, you know, join mom groups and with young kids and sort of build those relationships. And I, But I thought, you know, I'm almost 42. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's not the right place for me to build community. Mm-hmm. And since I've sort of shifted my mind away from it being tied to my kids, I've actually started connecting with way more people. Yeah, which is interesting. That is that is really interesting. So there's two there's two things there. So one that the impact of COVID and shifting our focus to digital communities, I think, I think you hit on something there that is really important. Like, When I think back to my pre-COVID life, I would invite people over all the time. We always had dinner parties and I almost never do that Mm. now. And that has been, it it has definitely impacted my sense and feeling of Mm -hmm. the community that I engage with. And I wonder about how, if there's a way of using the online connections that we've made. I mean, I, there are, and I've certainly, I think, interestingly, like since my best friend has moved mm-hmm. and we're still close, you know, and best friends, but I think people had a perception that we were like always together. And so right. actually through that online community, people have been reaching out like, Hey, do you want to get together? I'm like, yes, that'd be amazing. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we were together. It's not like we never saw each other, but just not in the way I think that people assumed. Right. Um, And so, yeah, so it's, you know, it's been great because now those online connections are turning into physical and in-person connections. And then there's a sense of like, I've also been 
putting in the effort to put myself out there and mm-hmm. joining a book club and, um, you know, reaching out to other people and saying, do you want to go out for a walk or whatnot? Just starting to build those relationships myself, not yeah. just relying on people to invite me. Yeah. And it's what you said also about knowing that these communities can exist outside of my kids. Mm-hmm. That's also really key because when we get completely involved and lose ourselves, mm-hmm. then there's the process of reclamation and having to find yourself again. And I think like, you know, I, it's easier, maybe not easy, but easier for us, you know, when you're a mom to think like, oh, I can have that community with the moms groups or uh, my one daughter did competitive skating and there was a great sense of community there with the moms. Right. But then of course, you know, the kids can outgrow that or change their minds mm-hmm. or, you know, whatnot. And then you lose that community and that can be hard. Um, so I'm really finding the value in finding my own connections and community mm-hmm. away from them. Yeah. And it's really, that is key, mm-hmm. I think, to maintaining your identity. And it's another one of those places where society tells us, no, you need to. Yes. It needs to look like this. Yes. And that's not the truth. No, I mean, not to say I, I'm still, you know, yes. have friendships and relationships with people that are, um, close with my you know their kids are close with my kids but someone used the term the other day like oh when you're out with your mom friends and I thought like I haven't used I haven't heard that word in a long time and I don't know Mm -hmm. that I would have anyone I consider just like a mom friend yeah no I have friends but (laughs) I think I'm at the point now in my life where like we're friends because we're friends it's not of friendship out of convenience. Right. Yeah. It's not friendship that's connected to a role that I'm currently actively engaged in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that starts to create another stage, Mm -hmm. right. And phase in life. And I think, again, it's great for kids to see that Mm -hmm. for them to see that you have a group of people who you enjoy spending time with that allow you to be your full self. And I would say, I mean, I've never been the type that has like a huge group. Like I'm Mm -hmm. not, I've, you know, I'll have lots of friends, but they're, and they'll know each other, but we won't necessarily be one connected group. Um, I don't know. I would love that, but it's just (laughs) not been my experience. But, um, but then the strength is also that I would say like, I have, my best friend who just moved out east. Yeah. My other lifelong best friend is in Calgary. Mm-hmm. And another one of my best friends is in, in Atlanta. And, you know, when April moved out east, she said to me, you know, I have no concern about us staying connected because, mm-hmm. like, you are so good at maintaining those long distance relationships and, and those relationships with people, the people that you really want in your life. Mm-hmm. So that's been great. So I do have, you know, it's, yeah. it's valuing the really uh, strong relationships in your life. Absolutely. And, you know, and of course building new ones, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, to me it's about, you know, the quality. Yeah. And there is something grounding about having people in your life who have known you mm-hmm. for a, like from the beginning. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, the one, the friend in Calgary has known me since I was seven, I think. Yeah. So yeah, that's too many years. <laughs> and that sense of shared history is so um there is something in that that is both comfort and a look back to see like oh yeah this there has been a real evolution in this oh, yeah. ride of life you know and i saw something on social media the other day about um 
it was like comparing childhood friendships to newer close friendships. And I thought, you know, let's not compare them. Like I think however you find your community and whatever works for you is good. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, Because, you know, there's value in those old friendships, but then for some, they may outgrow those relationships Mm -hmm. and then it's, there's more value in the newer relationships. So it was just interesting. I saw it pop up and I thought, you know, there's no right or wrong here. No. And that I wonder also if that sort of brings us back to some of the social media influences in, in those things where we are constantly comparing things, Mm -hmm. because I agree with you. I, there is room for all things Mm -hmm. for all different types of relationships and friendships. And we don't need to compare and Mm -hmm. rank. I mean, I think from a social media, like strategy perspective, that content was created to connect with a specific person to get shares to get, and that's, you know, when you're creating content strategically, what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. So I understand why they did that. Yeah. But as an audience member absorbing that message, I just thought, what? <laughs> so, so interesting. And then I'm like, oh, we're at 40 minutes and now we're into something. I feel like we could talk about forever. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, that, so strategy, mm-hmm. right? So for strategy and creating things and then how it impacts us as, as an audience. So how, what tools do we need to be able to see the strategy? Hmm. I mean, I think it's spending time on social media will help you really like you really need to like be immersed in the community. If I was going to sit down and like take a look and audit someone's like social media, Mm -hmm. you know, it's an in-depth view of their content of their audit, all these different metrics. And then it's, but honestly, it's spending time and getting to know like, what does this audience like? And how do we tap into that? And what do people, you know, what Mm -hmm. are some different ways that we can sort of capture people's attention but generally it's like you know you want to create content that's relatable mm-hmm. and valuable so something that people are going to say oh my gosh yes that's me talking yeah. to me which is exactly what that piece of content did for you know a segment of the population um you know and then it's reviewing and repeating if it works mm-hmm. you know if that goes does well keep doing that right i was just looking at an account the other day Again, somebody here in Barrie that's done really well with posting like inspirational um, quotes and things to a specific type of audience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's had many videos go viral in the millions of views on Instagram, which is harder these days than obviously TikTok. So I thought, you know, again, you've done something, you've tapped into a particular audience mm-hmm. and you've leveraged that. Yeah. And what I'm, and I'm wondering also from the consumer's perspective. So when they do have one of those moments where they see something and it's like, oh, well, should I be comparing myself to that? How does the consumer, that's what I'm thinking about, is mm-hmm. separate out, well, that is strategy to get to this group of people, but it's not reality for everybody. I mean, I don't know that you can, to be honest. Like, I don't, I'm looking at it through a social media manager strategist right. lens. So I can see that. I mean, but my first reaction was, well, that's not really like, are you saying it's a negative that I've had lifelong friends? You know, my first reaction was as an audience member. And then I go, oh, okay. But, you know, I think, I don't think you really can necessarily, unless Mm -hmm. you become familiar maybe with the creator, you see, okay, they're going to post, they post like this all the time. Um, But I think you have to just, I think it's really just, you know, if something doesn't make you feel good, Mm -hmm. don't like 
don't engage with it, unfollow, because the algorithm's going to keep showing you what you engage with, yes. right? And, and I think that's not a good thing in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, as an audience member, it's important to just, if something makes you feel not, you know, doesn't make you feel good, to stay away from it mm-hmm. and make the choice to unfollow. Yeah. And to not continue to put your finger into the flame. Yes. <laughs> Where yes. so much of the algorithm though is pulling you into that. So I think some of that, when I think about, you know, evolving curriculums at school, important work is actually around that mm-hmm. is knowing when to take your finger off the flame and that you don't have to stay engaged with mm-hmm. this thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a lifelong commitment. Yeah, sorry, I'm getting a phone call from no. April. <laughs> the best oh, friend of you. Sorry. Hello. No. Um, no, I totally agree. And I think, like, I would love for there to be education around how, algor- how algorithms work. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of the kids know, they get a sense of it because they're on these social platforms a lot. But it's being able to recognize, I think, like, this isn't, like, this is what is happening. And you're only going to see yes. what you already like. Um, and the dangers in that, right? We're mm-hmm. not exposed to opposing views. And I think like, you know, more curriculum around that mm-hmm. is important. Especially now as AI starts oh, yeah. to play into this conversation, which Absolutely. is going to have impacts that we can't even oh, begin filters, to imagine. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, my 12 year old uses a filter all the time is like beauty obsessed in terms of like skincare mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like you're 12. Yeah. You're beautiful. You know? Yes. But it's like, you know, it's, if that's what you're engaging with, that's what you're seeing. And that's what being, re- that's what's being reinforced. So I would like to see more discussion around that mm-hmm. in the classroom. Um, you know, obviously algorithm, algorithms will change, but sort mm-hmm. of that idea, I think will remain consistent. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing that we can do as parents mm-hmm. also is start because we're, we're never curriculum will never be able to keep up no. with the rate yeah. of change. Um, but yeah, having a space for parents to have some tools around that too, to be absolutely. able to engage in those conversations. We could talk about this for forever. Maybe yes. we'll have another episode. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so what is next for this kind of life? Um, well, back to school season is always very busy and now we are ramping up into holiday season. Mm -hmm. So I don't have any like concrete plans because my goal was to sort of actually like, let's slow down and just do some fun stuff, um, for October, November, December, and we'll see where that goes. But already I'm getting, you know, contacted by some exciting brands. So I'm like, Ooh, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think just sharing more of the, you know, I share a lot of like funny motherhood uh, pieces of content, um, body image, body positivity, pieces of content, um, and you know, style and really whatever floats my boat. (laughs) Yeah. Which is fun because you get to decide, right. And you get to make it fun. Yeah. It it was a conscious decision not to sort of niche down as we talked about algorithms. Um, because you know, and I understand that if I want to see growth, I really should pick one type of content and keep pushing that out there. But as a creator, I find that boring mm-hmm. and that's not what I want to do. And so I've just sort of said, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I want to do rather than what the platform wants me to do. Yeah. And that is the heart of being a creative. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending this time with us today. This is a, a fabulous conversation and yeah, maybe we'll have to have another one. Yeah. I'd love that.
Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. 